This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and you're listening to the Sportacast. This is the first episode, Eben, that I have recorded from outside of my home. I am coming to you from Penske headquarters in Midtown Manhattan. And you are where? Colorado? I am still in Colorado, but looking forward to getting back into the office as those things open up. That's exciting. That's big news. Yeah. So for us, it would be Jets Giants because I'm in New York versus Broncos. If we had a figurative matchup here of NFL, that is my segue to big news. The NFL once again, has managed to show how gargantuan (laughs) it is. It's outsized popularity because just the release of the schedule is an event. We've had little drips and drabs come out. Uh, The NFL sharing the information with the morning shows of its broadcast partners. So everybody gets a little bit uh, of it. But I would say the biggest news that I have heard so far, I have seen, how about Thursday? September the 9th, three days after my birthday, I wear an extra large, uh, I like blue, the Tampa Bay Bucks, that's Tom Brady and the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers are hosting the Dallas Cowboys. That screams monster rating. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, you can see why. I I believe the NFL champions play on that first Thursday every, every year, but it's a logical matchup to put probably the most popular team traveling to play Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, and the defending champions. Uh, yeah, Scott, uh, to your point, when you started, it's amazing how the NFL has has created these off-season can't-miss events. We talked about it last week with the draft. The Combine is another great example. It still shocks me that people pay to go see that and also watch it on TV. Uh, and, the, and the schedule release, which, to be honest, we're, we're, we're filming, we're recording right now before the full thing has happened. But we already have a pretty good sense of a lot of the games because of the leaks. So it's a very, I think, strategic kind of drip of information uh, that gets kind of whets the appetite. And then on Wednesday afternoon and Wednesday evening, boom, every team releases it. It's a social media event. If you remember in years past, there's usually a very you know expensive production video that teams use on social to announce their opponents. Uh, it's a very interesting way that the NFL has essentially commercialized what in years past long ago was essentially a nothing of a date. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, we are recording prior to the release of the entire schedule, but we had 
as I said, gotten some drips and drabs. Las Vegas will be hosting a game on Monday night, right? The first Monday against the night. Ravens. So the, I saw some Ravens, the Ravens players tweeting yeah. about that. They're excited. Taking advantage of that new market in Las Vegas. Uh, that, that's some glitz and glamour. But we also do know, and I find this interesting, we know which teams are going to London. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have the Jets and Falcons, Dolphins, Jacksonville. Uh, the interesting part to me right there, not that Jacksonville is going for the eighth time, but we have pick number one and pick number two. So Jacksonville, like we said, they, they regularly go. Shad Khan owns the team, uh, probably wants to be the unofficial team of Europe. So he goes all the time. But you have the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence, quarterback, number two pick Zach Wilson of the New York Jets. What better way to ingratiate yourself to fans outside of the North American borders than to send picks one and two, lots of hype, big name, uh, really give them some of the best of what you have to offer. And we talked last week about things that are happening in sports that give optimism about things returning to normal. The NFL announcing that it's going to be holding games back in London this fall is another one of those examples uh, of something that leagues used to do that they obviously did not do uh, during the the pandemic season of 2020 that they are announcing pretty early on that they're going to get back to doing in 2021. One more funny thing to me, Scott, about the, the idea of the schedule release is that unlike other sports, the NFL schedule is so regimented that everybody already knows who their opponents are. You, yeah, you, because you of the play, divisions. Yeah, you play three games home and away in your own division. You play another division in your conference, another division outside your conference. And now the final three games are are scheduled based on how well you did that season. Opponents that are roughly as good as your team for, for competitive balance reasons. So almost all these teams knew all 17 of their opponents before today, before the league started. And even given that there is able to be kind of the, this, this big hype around it. One other, you know, one of the industries that really pays attention to this, the ticketing world, obviously, once you know specific dates of games, tickets start to be sold. One thing I'm curious when we dive into the data, this is the first NFL regular season with 17 games. Is there additional demand to meet that 17th game in the data? Or do we just see roughly the same 16 game demand spread out over a 17th game. I'm curious if there's going to be any way to see if adding another game just creates another game's worth of demand or if there's at least a a more gradually spreading out. Can't lie. That kind of made me cock my head, a little headache, like, you know, especially what, (laughs) but I think I get it. I, I, I think we're going to see the 16 game demand spread out one more time, just pushed out. That, that, I think that's right as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what we're going to see. Well, you talked about optimism because of the NFL going to London. By the way, the Champions League looks like our friend Tarek Pancha says it's going to uh, Portugal again. Uh, Got to move out of Istanbul and uh, the uh, Great Britain will not change its uh, its protocol. So it looks like the Champions League is headed to Portugal. Uh, but optimism to, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? The Oakland A's have gotten permission from Major League Baseball to begin the exploration of relocation. Now, I, I feel like I, I could have uttered that sentence when I was 12 years old, uh, and it just every few years it, it pops up. But uh, what am I to make? Am I optimistic the Oakland A's are going to get something done, or, or, or am I pessimistic that MLB uh, giving them permission means maybe there's a little bit more this time that they'll be the third team to relocate in like the last 50 something years. So yeah, I was going to ask you because a lot of the folks who've been covering sports business for a long time 
we're all talking about deja vu. They've been feeling about the A's who I guess we're, we're talking about relocation in the early two thousands and also about 10 years ago as well. Uh, it seems as though the, the A's, uh, the, the, they obviously can't stay at the Coliseum. It's, it's not really an MLB ballpark. They can't really rebuild there either, according to both the team and major league baseball. So they need a new venue. There's a plan there right now. It's called the Howard Terminal Plan. I assume that's a place in Oakland. Um, a plan right now to, to maybe build something there. They've asked the city for some some public money. I always default, Scott. Oh yeah. To... Oh, that's that's where the problems always go awry, <laughs> especially in California when you ask for public money. That's exactly. The right and I kind of always assume this is the skeptic in me that 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 almost any team's initial threat of relocation is is more of an attempt to get some outcry among fans and maybe try to budge local officials into giving them uh, a few more tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to build their stadium. So that's my initial read: is that. This may just be an attempt to get a, a bit more public money to, to get that that final Howard Terminal uh, project off the ground. Um, but, you know, w- we'll see. I, I'm also curious to get your thoughts. Well, I, I love, first of all, that you were like, well, I assume that's an Oakland uh, place. Yeah, yes, Howard Terminal, that would be uh, the waterfront in Oakland. Yes, I, I did love Got that it. a lot. But by definition, if a team is going to leave City 1, I think you know where I'm going to finish this sentence, it must therefore go to city number two. Yes. So I ask to you, uh, if we're talking about Oakland and relocation, we have the Raiders, as we know, we already discussed it. The Raiders are in Vegas, a sweetheart deal for Mark Davis in that stadium. Okay. We know the Warriors bolted to downtown San Francisco across the bay, privately financed though, the Chase Center. So where... Oh, where do the A's go? Do they follow Mark Davis to Las Vegas? There's been AAA baseball there. It's really hot. Uh, so you obviously need a, uh, a indoor dome facility. Uh, other cities mentioned, Portland, Oregon, Nashville, Charlotte, Montreal, if they aren't hosting half of the Rays season. Um, you'd have to think that baseball would like to get a deal done. Would like the team to get a deal done and stay right where they are. What what a tough run for Oakland sports fans. Three years ago, there were there were three teams in town and there's a chance that in three years, there's going to be zero. Yeah, that's but you can a, still root uh, for the Dubs. The Dubs are just, you know, just across tough. the bay. You can still, yeah, I, I would still consider least, them, that's the Bay Area team. You can still root for them. But they're in yeah, the there, there is a bit of, uh, of identity for the Raiders uh, and, and that town uh, and to see them go to Las Vegas, that that's the tougher one to me than than the Warriors. And and the reverse of Oakland is Las Vegas, the city you mentioned first there. No teams four years ago. They have an NHL team and an NFL team now. Certainly seems like if the A's were to move, the, the front runner or one of the front runners would be Las Vegas. MLS still looking around at that 30th franchise. Everything I hear is that if it's not Sacramento, Las Vegas is a is a pretty good front runner. On that regard, too, Vegas could go from having zero big five sports teams to having four in a five or six year stretch as well. So there's a chance that to, to Oakland's de- detriment is uh, is Las Vegas's gain again. Um, Vancouver, another city in there, Scott, Montreal, a city that's had a baseball team that has lost a baseball team. Um, but again, I would think right now the front runner for the Oakland A's in 2026 season is still Oakland. Um, okay. But I'm willing to be proven wrong. If I say Montreal Expos, what's the first player that pops into your mind? 
Uh, it's Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco, really? Good, I still think bad. Pedro Martinez. Hmm. Over Vlad Guerrero, Larry Walker. I, I still think Pedro Martinez. Because that go. team, I believe that was the strike short in season. I believe they were going to win the World Series that year. Heck of they a were team. very good that year. I know that. I yeah, was, I, I was think they young, were going to win. But I, I, I just threw that in there. There's nothing to do with sports business. I just it, jumped in. Uh, Jose Canseco never played for the Montreal Expos. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get the Jose Canseco. <laughs> but that's okay. It's, so, if it, that's so what pops into your brain, player, that's, you there's the no player. wrong answer. That's the beauty. I didn't say he has to play for the team. Whatever pops into your brain is the right answer. I didn't want to criticize you on that yeah. one. So I, I am mean, telling on reason. myself with my mid-90s baseball knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the way, the team's lease, the A's lease, runs through 2024. Not a lot of time. And next time you're here joining me in Midtown Manhattan at our headquarters here, Eben, I will, unless you, you've just read it, I, I mean, I, I trust you to admit that you did that. Uh, lunch on me, if you can tell me the name of their stadium. Because to me, it's just always oh. the Oakland Coliseum. If you can I, tell no, me I where they this. play, lunch on me. You do? I did. Because you read I did, it recently? I, do. I did or? not read it, but I do know it. It's, uh, and I don't, actually don't know how to pronounce it. It's the, no, then the, you don't the, know the, it. Oh, it's the O. It's very simple. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's not, not the O. O Coliseum? It's not the O. O, no. Oh, okay. Okay, I feel better. <laughs> I'm so on you, fire. This is, here's Stay the Jose Canseco of, of naming rights. Yeah. Ring Central Coliseum. Oh, geez. I would never would have gotten that. I never would have gotten that either. I, I, I never really, would have gotten that. There, there was zero chance that I would have gotten that. But by the way, baseball, when you think about it, I mean, teams come and go. Really, I wasn't kidding. Two relocations in the past 50 years. Now, if you had asked me for the over-under, I guess if I really sat and thought about it, I, I maybe would have gotten it right. But the Washington Senators became the Rangers in 1972, mm. yeah. and the Expos, the Nationals, in 2005. Like, that's yeah. it. So it's not as if it's willy-nilly movement uh, about uh, baseball franchises and, and locations. Uh, if, if I'm if gun to head, they figure something out. That's all. I'll, I'll, I'll end it there. Now, take Agreed. me to college sports. What do we got? Yeah, so a really great story that we published this week from our colleagues, Daniel Libet and Emily Karen, a look at um, the what they're called is, is multimedia rights in college sports. The, the easier way to think about these contracts is uh, the all the licensing rights for college sports teams generally gets done by a third party. There are companies, and, and Learfield IMG College is the biggest one here, but there are companies that essentially pay to take those rights away from the school and then they monetize them. And what that means is everything from signage in a stadium to advertising in a program to radio ads, hospitality, logos and marks, some merchandising, all of that stuff for most schools around the country, athletic standpoint, is done by a third party. And we've had a lot of those contracts for a while. Learfield IMG College works with 100 plus big time schools in this regard. What Daniel and Emily were able to get their hands on recently was the second part of those deals. And these are contracts that we actually have not seen, at least not in any widespread format. And what those, what those contracts show is at the end of the year, when they settle up all the money, how much Learfield was able to monetize those rights. And if you look at what they pay a school versus how they monetize it, you get a sense of whether, uh, how, how lucrative that contract is for Learfield. And again, this is not just Learfield. This is almost all these companies, the way these deals work, they take on the risk of monetizing these rights. And as a result, they share in the upside. Yeah, but they make, they make guaranteed payments to the school. So exactly. we always know how much, we know what those payments are. We generally, however, as you said, we don't take that second step. Rarely do we get a glimpse on how Learfield makes out uh, on these deals. Exactly. I, and and I, we, I love the way he ahead. said it though, that, that he, he did a months long dragnet 
I love that. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel is the, the FOIA whisperer. Yeah. He is, he is the, the records request FOIA <laughs> whisperer. That's right. Yep. So a, a months long dragnet. He got royalty reports marked confidential that gave us a, a little inkling, a little clue into this world. And I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. I think the, the, the really interesting thing is that obviously during the pandemic, when a lot of football games did not happen. They did not happen with fans, et cetera. The entire business of these multimedia rights contracts kind of got turned on its head. And Learfield and its competitors have all kind of gone back to their schools and tried to negotiate the, the fair way of thinking about their contracts through a year when college sports was not normal. Um, I think that this is going to spur, the pandemic is going to spur a rethinking of the way these deals are structured, in which... There's less of this big guarantee up front and more of a revenue share component where Learfield and a school or JMI and a school or Legends and a school can work together to monetize these things. It keeps everybody engaged. It avoids the fear that I think some people have that a school gets its $10 million check at the beginning of the year and no longer has to think about it and doesn't really have to even really cooperate and work in monetizing these things. But I think the the answer is that uh, this format where there's a big upfront guarantee payment. Sometimes Learfield is going to make money on that deal. Sometimes, as we saw in the story with UCLA, they're going to lose money on that deal. I think that is a, a format that is probably going to go by the wayside in the coming years as these things get renegotiated. Yeah, and I'm taking this from the piece. According to the two most recent pre-pandemic seasons, Learfield reported net revenue of more than $18 million, ultimately pocketing more than $6 million on Nebraska. Yeah. On Nebraska. Now, important to note, and by the way, a lot of those deals are Power 5 conference teams, and there's a reason why you look at Learfield, because they are the 800-pound gorilla, and they have 200 clubs plus, something like that, right? Um, important to note, though, that Learfield points out that it doesn't just pocket all that money. It's not like, oh, thank you, and put it in our pockets, and, and that goes to profit. It, really, it stresses that it, well, the money it earns from those individual schools is in substantial part goes to fulfilling salaries and expenses. They pour it back into the business. So they weren't specific as to how much, you know, what percentage of that money is poured back into the business. But it isn't as if just those numbers go into the coffers as straight up profit. There is a reinvestment in the business. And that's important to note. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the, the Nebraska numbers there um, because I think everybody in college sports is probably going to be keeping a close eye on Nebraska in this realm in, in the coming years. Nebraska has essentially decided not to renew its Learfield deal. It is banking on the idea that even with the, the fact that it had this guarantee and, as you said, all their costs were covered, they believe that they may be able to, to, to make more money doing this internally. Um, that is something that a few other colleges have done in the past to varying degrees of success. Um, I think the general assumption, obviously, in the market is that that's going to be a lot harder than, than it maybe seems, just given that Learfield obviously has both a ton of expertise and a lot of other rights that they can sell as a package. But I think that if, you know, if we look back on this in three or four years and Nebraska has ended up being extremely successful in doing all of this licensing in-house... I think you may see a lot more colleges go that route. And I think the opposite is also true. If if in three or four years, Nebraska ends up back with Learfield or with IMG or with Legends because they learned that, hey, you know, doing this on our own might not be as lucrative or might not be as easy as, as we thought it was going to be. I think that's going to say another thing about the market. So I do think that Nebraska yeah, is a really interesting case study right now that people are paying attention to. 
Yeah, I can't wait till the end when Nebraska comes back and says, ah, this was hard. <laughs> this was harder <laughs> than we thought. Yeah, hey, can we, can we go back into this deal that we had? This is hard. Uh, we'll see. Just guessing once again. All right, let's finish up with the NBA, Novi Williams, because we're getting toward the end of the season and people are starting to pay attention. Thank you, LeBron James, to the concept of the play-in game. Like the NBA this season has changed its format. LeBron said, quote, whoever came up with that expletive needs to be fired. Luka Doncic, no big fan also, but it used to be the old school NBA, and that's like, you know, pre-pandemic, the top eight teams in each conference made the playoffs. There you go. One to eight, you're in. One plays eight. Perfect. Now, only the top six clubs are guaranteed the spot. Seven and eight, join nine and ten for that little play-in tournament. So it's seven versus eight, you know, right? The winner gets the number seven seed. That's it right there. Seven, and that seven, eight game, winner gets the seven seed. The nine versus 10 winner gets the loser of that seven, eight game. So you conceivably have one game to make your way as the number eight seed. And this is interesting to me because, Mr. Novi Williams, right now, at time of recording, there are no afternoon games in the NBA today. This is good. Right now, in the Western Conference, you have LeBron James and his Los Angeles Lakers at number seven, Steph Curry and his Golden State Warriors at number eight. Oh, baby. You could have a situation or will have a situation if, if the standings stay the way they are, where one of those teams, uh, absolutely blessed with the biggest stars in the game, global icons, is going to be a, in a win or else situation. Um, yeah, people are talking about it. Thank you, LeBron James. Good move, bad move. I'm I'm sorry, players. But if you can get people this interested at this point in a in a seven, eight, nine, ten game for a play-in, then the NBA is doing something right. Yeah, I think sh- should that happen if we get Steph first, LeBron, you got to figure that that might be the most watched non-finals game of the season. Heck, it may even beat the finals. Even beat the finals. Exactly. Yeah, you're essentially jumping straight to a game seven uh, in the first round between between those two guys. It, it, it sounds honestly kind of similar to the idea that Major League Baseball adopted with that second wild card a couple of years ago where there are now baseball teams that play a, a one and done uh, game in, in, in the playoffs to determine if they go on or not. Uh, I think there's purists that probably hate it. I think there's fans that love it. Uh, I did know you, you mentioned Luka Doncic in there. Mark Cuban, who was a proponent of this idea when it was passed, I believe a year, a year and a half ago, has come out and, and is no longer really a fan of it for this year specifically. I think his argument was, you know, when you shave 10 games off the regular season, uh, that, that maybe you you have to rethink this just for this year, this pandemic shortened season. Um, but I love it. I think it's great. I think, it, you know, anytime you get more teams involved in the quote unquote playoffs, that seems great. I think baseball would tell you that they notice a, a tremendous difference at the end of the season just by virtue of more teams being in contention to, to keep playing into the postseason. That keeps fans engaged. That keeps sponsors engaged. There's more sports betting probably happening on those games as well. Uh, so yes, I think by virtue of expanding this, if you have more teams than normal towards the end of the NBA season in May and June, you know, sweating out their playoff spot, I think that's a that's a win from a business standpoint. I think if you're the NBA, you'd rather have LeBron and and Steph meeting in the finals. <laughs> yes. But if it if it's a difference between one of them not making it at all and and instead having them play in, in a play-in, that seems like a huge win. 
Yeah, I would hold that and like sell sponsorships for like the one game that that just that one game sponsorship. Now, before I get to my incredibly well rehearsed closing, that sometimes I, I fumble and mumble. Uh, I think we need to give a uh, a nice uh, call out to our colleagues who won some Cebu awards. Right, first mm. first year of existence for Sportico, and we have Brendan Coffey, Peter Schwartz, Lev Akabas, and Emily Karen recognized by Cebu, uh, all winning awards. Uh, in in the first year of existence for separate pieces that they did, uh, pretty darn good. It's a shame there's not a rookie of the year for publications because uh, this is our first year as a publication. I think we might be in the running for that one too. I think so too. All right, he is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Corveltman, social media coordinator, makes me say the program at Sportacast, which is which is what will be (laughs) the hub of the Sportico Podcast Network.